Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Gosselin Martin Associates. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Gosselin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast focuses solely on the healthcare facility management professional, and it's sponsored by the Career Hub. The Career Hub's powered by Gosselin Martin Associates. Before we get started uh, with this week's guest, or before I introduce this week's guest, just wanted to bring to your attention two new opportunities that we rolled out um, within the past two weeks. Things may be starting to loosen up a bit, but we rolled out a director of facilities opportunity um, in Randallstown, Maryland, that is with uh, Northwell Health. And then we have another opportunity that we rolled out for a director of facility operations with Dickinson County Health in Iron Mountain, Michigan. So if you're interested, go look. And if not, stay tuned for this podcast. Today, I am uh, happy to be joined by Will Sullivan. Will is VP of Facilities and Laboratory Operations at Washington Regional Medical Center in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Today's episode will focus on Will's interest and career evolution to the VP role. Um, he is, his career featured a pretty rapid rise into the VP position. This is yet another installment of our series, So You Want to Be. Those So You Want to Be series is So You Want to Be a facility director, so you want to be a vice president. They've been well-received, and I thought this would be another interesting installment. Will's healthcare career began at Emory Healthcare in Atlanta, Georgia, where he completed an 18-month leadership development program within the departments of the physician billing revenue cycle. He stayed with Emory for five more years following the leadership development program. He transitioned into a construction project manager role, and then he transitioned into a facilities management role. From there, he became a director of FM and Advent Health, and then he became a VP for Washington Regional Medical Center, where he has been for the last couple of years. Will has his degree in finance and an MBA in operations management. Will went to the University of Georgia, and while studying finance, he found time to play linebacker on their football team from 2006 to 2008, and then he was a student assistant from 2008 to 2010 for the football team. Will, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for the introduction. I'm glad to be here. My pleasure. You you have the distinction of being the first college football player that we've had on the High Reliability Podcast. You don't get anything, but you are number one. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) And, you know, you might be the starting linebacker. I don't know if we have anybody else, but if you've played college football, feel free to reach out to me. But before we talk about that, Will... Let's talk about um, your role at Washington Regional Medical Center. What's your scope of accountability presently? So Washington Regional Medical Center, we're a level two trauma center, um, 425 beds, and we've got around 40 clinics here in Northwest Arkansas. Um, I've got system oversight of laboratory operations, maintenance, construction, safety, security, environmental services, and emergency management. Big role. Yeah, it uh, it uh, keeps you busy how is, for sure. How how has um how have you fared these pa- past couple of months, and what's the what's the status down there at Washington Regional? I think it's uh, been pretty stressful for everybody here in Arkansas. Our surge was was later um, in the year; it wasn't in March or April. Our surge didn't really come until uh, July, so we're starting to come down off that surge, and our number of inpatients have started to uh, to reduce, thankfully. So. We're kind of in a period of respite right now, but just preparing for the the fall and winter and whatever that may bring. 
Yeah. Yes. Uncertainty. Well, that's that's good news. I'm glad to hear it's going going down. So back in March and April, which really seems like an eternity ago now, but back in March and April, when a lot of the action appears was up here in the northern part of the country, up in the northern tier of the country. What were what were you guys doing? How were you preparing? What was you know what what was going on down there, it, it, within your facility? So we were uh, just taking the lessons learned um, from the northeast, really preparing uh, dedicated COVID units within the hospital to house, house those patients. So you know, setting up negative pressure rooms, uh, looking at the capacity of our our O2 lines. Just really doing everything we could to prepare the hospital for the uh, the pending and upcoming surge. Excellent. So we're taking some of those best practices and and trying to utilize them in preparation. Absolutely. Just it was a it was a very fluid time. Uh, things seemed to change every day. Uh, recommendations and, and best practices, but it was a hectic time. But we did a lot of work in a very short period of time. And actually, it, it was different, like you said, than the Northeast. We we scrambled to get ready, and then there was a lull for a couple of months, and then we started to see the impact of uh, the spread of the virus. So how did you, you know, your interactions with your employees um, kind of in that lull period, uh, how how did you stay engaged with them, and, and what was their what was their outlook as to what was going on? Was it fear? Was it anticipation? Was it, hey, what's the big deal? Or was it a combination of all those things? I think it was a combination of all those things. There, there was some fear, just the unknown of the virus. And, and you know, we continue to learn about the virus um, every single day. But that initial, you know, am I safe to come to work? Um, am I going to be at risk? You know, in facilities and a lot of these sports service department, you know, as well as the clinical staff, obviously. Um, we didn't have the luxury of, of of going remote and working from home. So um, there was some fear and trepidation surrounding that. But, you know, we communicated with our staff daily about the best practices and, and what we needed to do to keep them safe. Excellent. So, it's, you know, communication is such a huge part of everything that you do. I'm sure that uh, worked well for you. Yeah, absolutely. We, we did our best to, so, to communicate every day, and, and our CEO did a great job as well, sending out weekly uh, letters and memos uh, to the staff just to make sure everybody was on the same page. So let's switch gears a little bit. We'll move away from from COVID and and preparation. Let's look a little bit at kind of the career path you took. As I said, you're our first college football player. When you were at the University of Georgia, did you want to be? Uh, did you want to play in the NFL or? Was a finance career your career path for you, or did you did you think that far in advance? Tell us a little bit about what you're thinking when you were there at Georgia. So the NFL was never on my radar. I was actually a, a walk-on uh, linebacker at the University of Georgia, so so no scholarship. So I was putting in all the work, uh, the blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, no scholarship. It's really just doing it for the love of the game. Um, so the the NFL was never crossed my mind. I was way too small, and way too slow. Yeah. Uh, to even think about the NFL, <laughs> um, so finance. Uh, you know, to be honest, like a lot, a lot of people in college, I didn't know exactly what I, I wanted to do in my career, but I was always um, interested and kind of passionate about you know uh, numbers and and business. So I chose finance as my uh, as my college degree because I knew I could take finance into to really almost any type of business. Finance is very uh, very flexible and. You know, at the end of the day, it comes down to numbers, no matter what you're doing, whatever career field you're in. So that's the reason I pursued that degree uh, to give me flexibility in my career moving forward. 
Well, you made the right choice as far as flexibility is concerned. <laughs> um, let me ask though. So, you know, walking on it, the University of Georgia, it's not like it's a Division three school. It's obviously a a national power. You guys were 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 playing in bulls back then. It, it was it difficult to walk on. I mean, what was how hard is it to walk on at a program like that in the SEC? Yeah, it's it's a huge challenge. You know, you're you're going up against some of the best athletes in the country. Uh, there's a lot of work involved. Uh, you're, you're getting beat up on by guys that are, you know, way faster and way stronger. Uh, it's a grind for sure. You know, on top of your just your normal, your normal school duties. You know, you've got weightlifting uh, practice meetings. You know, it's probably twenty to 30, 30 hours a week that you're doing football on top of your education. So um, it's definitely a challenge. But uh, the relationships and uh, the benefits of, of learning those life skills of, you know, of hard work and team teamwork. Those are the, the things you gain by, by putting in that work and putting in that effort. Are you, um, are you from Georgia originally? Did you grow up in Georgia? Yeah. I'm born and raised. I actually grew up about an hour outside of Atlanta, um, in Northwest Georgia. So I grew up, um, a Bulldog fan, Bulldog fan and University of Georgia was the only place I applied to go to college. So, uh, born and raised, and uh, to to love Georgia and the Bulldogs. That's what I was gonna. I was gonna ask you if that had been, uh, you know, if you grew up there. I, I would imagine that would have been a goal for yours to to walk on and play there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something you think about. You know, you watch watch them every Saturday, and I really didn't start thinking about it probably to my junior senior year of uh, of high school, and said, "Hey, why not? Let's uh, let's give this a shot." Great. It worked, it worked for you. So what was your, uh, what was your favorite moment as a Georgia football player? I think what you miss the most about football, and it's not really necessarily the practices or, or the games per se, it's really just, you know, being with your friends and your buddies every day and, and uh, going to work and having a good time. But I, I think one moment that kind of stands out for me, you know, growing up in the Southeast and, and watching uh, SEC football is, and I guess January 2008, we went to the, the Sugar Bowl and played Hawaii um, in New Orleans. And just the feeling you have standing in the tunnel, getting ready to come out onto the field pregame and, and running out to the to the screaming fans and really fulfilling that childhood dream of, of being at the Sugar Bowl and, 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 and there in that kind of atmosphere. That, that's probably the, the most singular moment that, that stands out to me. That's awesome. That's I, I imagine you guys won the bowl game. Yeah, we we won that game. I think by twenty or thirty points. So it, it was a a good time and a good experience. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I went to New Orleans for a Final Four back in two thousand three. Um, my alma mater was playing down there. It was the first time I had been to New Orleans, and three days at the Final Four was enough. Your experience was obviously a little <laughs> bit different, a little more fun, but. Uh, New Orleans has a shelf life. At least it did for me. Yeah, it. Uh, you you got to be careful. Like it can worry you out if uh, if you get in the uh, on the wrong street, maybe Bourbon Street. Uh, it can work out pretty quickly. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it, it was a great time. It's a great city. And uh, one thing I always tell people about New Orleans is they have some of the best food I've ever had. So I definitely recommend if you haven't made that trip before. <laughs> Absolutely, and and you just don't want your friends to see you out on the lying out on the street early the next morning when they're getting up. That's, that's when, you know, it's gone wrong for you. <laughs> if it's at that point. <laughs> so, so uh, let's, let's shift gears. Your opportunity 
at Emory. Um, you know, you started there, leadership development program, 18-month program. Uh, how did that materialize for you? And when you went into that leadership development program, could you have envisioned that you'd become a facilities person <laughs> when you began in that uh, that program? Now, that's, that's a complicated story. I'll, I'll briefly try to explain it. But, uh, you know, I graduated in, in sure. spring of 2010, where the job market for new graduates still wasn't great. Um, to be honest, you know, I was applying to, you know, tens, probably, probably hundreds of jobs. And, and just I had this finance degree. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I, I knew and had people, family members and healthcare. So I, I found this program. Emory Healthcare was a brand new program. The first year they had it, um, I think they were hiring three individuals for this program to start off with. And they had, I think, uh, over 200 applications. Um, you know, I was like, I was lucky and blessed enough to get the opportunity to, to interview and, and really speak to my experiences at Georgia and kind of the, the skills and, and life lessons that I had learned there. Cause I, I didn't, you know, with football and playing football and also being a student assistant, I didn't have the opportunity to, to do an internship like a lot of people do. So, um, but I got into that program. Uh, it was 18 months within the physician billing and revenue cycle. So it, a lot of it is, Accounts receivable, you know, financial clearance, uh, pre-certifications, a lot of the, the back-end billing, working with insurance companies. It was an 18-month program where you spent three to four months in each department. You made a process improvement. You reported that out to leadership, and they approved for you to go to the next phase of the program uh, based upon your performance and, and how you did. So uh, one of my side projects. So Will was a was – a pr- Go ahead. Was it was a process imp- was a process improvement a deliverable that you needed to deliver before you could get to that next step? Yep, absolutely. And what they did is um, actually one of the great parts of the program is that is they set you down with a uh, the staff and and you learned and you actually did some of the work that they do every day. And it was your job to to go out and find a process improvement on your own. They didn't you know direct you or give you your own project. You had to find, create that project, implement it, and show the results um, before you could move on. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Huh. So you completed. Uh, you completed. Your, did you say there were four four steps in it? Uh, yeah, there's probably four to five steps. But um, really, how I made the transition from you know the the financial services revenue cycle side is one of my side projects during this program is um, the the president of Emory Clinic wanted to relocate all the the clinical coders from the clinics to the central business office where I was working. Um, So we probably had to to move an additional probably 50 or 60 people into that building, which involved um, renovating uh, the building, which was about 100,000 square feet. So the VP of operations and the director of facilities needed somebody to help them manage that that project. So that was my first um, foray into construction and facilities management. So I managed that project and the renovation of that building and relocating and um, all those staff members into that building. That's a great, uh, that's a great project to sink your teeth into. I mean, you talk about getting really a global look at facilities from both construction and people management and dealing with end users. And I mean, that experience must've just opened your eyes to a whole new world, I guess, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great opportunity. I got to interact with 
people in departments from, you know, whether it be IT or cardiology or, or you know, uh, neurosurgery, whatever it may be, I got to interact and build relationships with people across the entire organization. So it was definitely a, a great way and, and a first step into uh, facilities management. I know it was a while ago, and I know that, you know, since that time, obviously, you've had <laughs> – You've had increasing responsibility and, and, and many more roles that you've taken on. But do you recall back to that time? Was there is there anything that still sticks out in your mind? Something that was kind of like an aha moment, either that you didn't expect or that was flooring to you the way things were done in healthcare. Is there anything that sticks out from that experience? Like, wow, I never would have envisioned that until, you know, this program. I think uh how complex healthcare actually is. I think, you know, uh, the beauty of that program is I was able to see a lot of different departments. You know, uh, most people, when they start their career, they're, they're in one department, they learn about that one department. I was actually had the ability to rotate and see multiple different areas of the business and, and how those complex interactions between those departments and, you know, the patients and the insurance companies, um, it's, it's a definitely a very complex industry with, with a lot of expertise. So the ability to be in that program to see uh, from the bigger picture and having the opportunity to rotate through those departments was a, was a great first step in healthcare. And that's kind of what sticks out to me the most is, wow, I had absolutely no clue um, what goes into healthcare and how complex it actually is. Yeah. You know, some people may be listening to this and think you you may also be a glutton for punishment. If you think about it, you walk down to Georgia and then you get this opportunity to go in healthcare. You're a finance guy, so you can sit with the high rollers, the people who sign the checks and make the decisions. But you make the decision to go facilities and construction route where you you're, you're very impactful, but you're also getting beat on all the time. So it might be a pattern for you. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll might have to dig. That might be a different podcast. Dig deep into my childhood and, and see what <laughs> see what went wrong. But uh, uh, but no, it uh, <laughs> that's um, it. It definitely, you know, one thing that kind of jumped out to when I when I got into the facility and kind of construction side of it. You know, I, I'm I'm passionate about numbers and finance and operations and, and how things work and are funded. But uh, one thing that, you know, facilities and construction kind of exposed me to is, you know, outside of the cubicle, you know, being able to start projects and, and see what it starts as, as, you know, as an old um, a dirty space or whatever it may be. And you turn it something into brand new and beautiful that, that serves, you know, your patients, your employees. So, that's one of the things that kind of that drew me to facilities is being able to, to start a project with it's just a thought and see it all the way through the process um, to the end where it actually um, serves our community and the organization. So um, that that's probably the initial thing that kind of drew me into facilities is that aspect of it. And as you guys have said on this podcast and you hear throughout the industry, it's, it's something different every day. Um, in healthcare facilities. So right. I think that's one of the things that kind of drew me to um, this part of the industry. Yeah, there's definitely, you definitely see the results of your hard work and, and you know, you know, you're there from, as you said, you're there from the, 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 the birth stages of it. So you're there through the stages of design development. So not only do you see the finished product, but you also know the pain it took to get there many times, you know, some, not everything, Every every project always has its bump. So you know all the stories behind it, yet these new people coming in 
marvel about the space you create, and that's the way it should be, yet you know the story behind it. So it's a great sense of accomplishment that you get on all these projects. You, um, you, you know, your finance education and your finance background, increasingly, you know, that that is a at the VP level, you need, you know, you need that expertise and increasingly even at the director level, you know, relative to budgets, money, finance is becoming increasingly important. What are some of the ways that your finance background has helped you in, in, in your facilities work? And just to emphasize your point, I think, you know, as margins continue to shrink within healthcare as, as they have over the, the, the previous decade, you know, finance and being able to manage money and, and being able to speak the, the financial language of the C-suite um, regarding budgets, you know, and, and income statements and capital planning. I think it it's only become more important as the years progress um, within facilities management. Uh, being able to look at and understand that, you know, the life cycle cost of equipment, and, you know, the time value of money, I think it, it helps you to create a financial plan for your organization um, that really sets them up long-term. So I think having an, a financial background and understanding of, of that part of the business um, has really benefited me in my career. Is there, you know, not everybody's comfortable with budgeting with money, even if you're really comfortable on the technical side, you can go out to an air handler, you can go out to a boiler generator, whatever it happens to be. You're really comfortable there. That comfortability may not transfer into finance and money. I'm, I'm trying to simplify it. Is there any, you know, for somebody who's not comfortable with finance, money, budgeting, given your background, is there anything you could tell them as a baseline to either focus on or, or try to become a little bit more comfortable speaking that language of finance, whether you're in front of the C-suite, as you talked about, or, you know, you're at a construction meeting? I think it's probably def- different in every situation. I think you know, go to your finance or your accounting department, uh, build those relationships and, and, and have one-on-one meetings with them because they want you to understand um, your budget because ultimately they, you control the spend and, and you need to know how to manage that. So go to them, meet with them one-on-one, build those relationships and ask, quote unquote, what you may think are dumb questions, but they're not. Um, that's one thing I, I feel like I've done uh, well, in my careers, I'm not really scared to ask questions, no matter how um, silly or, uh, or unassuming the questions may be, because um, that's really the only way you learn. So uh, you can do that, you know, within your organization, uh, search for those relationships and try to learn that way. Or, you know, the, the beauty of the Internet, um, go online. I mean, there are all kinds of courses out there. Take it upon yourself um, to build your own skill set. Don't depend on your organization to do that for you. Um, the internet is limitless. There's a lot of resources out there. Um, learn those things yourself, teach those things yourself. So you at least have a baseline before you go into those conversations with, you know, finance and accounting, um, to even, you know, ask further questions. So those will be my recommendations. Leverage the recommend or, uh, the relationships you have within the organization and also, um, online training and tools are a great resource as well. And that's good, simple advice that anybody could do, too. I mean, I think sometimes maybe we, you, you know, when you say go meet with your accounting department, that's really simple that everybody could do. But maybe you just overlook it because you're just, you know, the busyness of your role. But that's real simple. Yeah, absolutely. Use the resources you have. Reach out to those people. Um, uh, 
99% of the people are more than happy to help you and, and to educate you and, and, and make you better in your career. If you're, if you're just willing to ask, take that time and make the investment and uh, don't have too much pride to where you feel like you can't ask for help. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So you, um, going back a little bit, you, you know, you're in your construction project manager role and then you become a director of FM at Advent Health. And I'm probably simplifying it a little bit too much off of uh, the resume, but tell us a little bit about uh, that transition and what may be some of your decision making metrics that you, or matrices that you decided to jump into the FM field, the FM role. So at Emory Healthcare, I was definitely involved, you know, I kind of started out on the construction side, but, you know, as the years passed, I definitely got more and more involved on the, on the FM side. Uh, but the director of facilities opportunity within Advent Health, it was uh, two hospitals within Northwest Georgia. Advent Health is um, a system based out of Orlando, Florida. It's 45 hospitals in 10 states. Um, and they had this opportunity to come up for direct facilities. It was actually in my hometown. Um, over two hospitals. My experiences at Emory Healthcare were more on the outpatient side. Um, Emory Emory Clinic is very has a very large and comprehensive outpatient uh, setting. You know they got about two hundred clinics, so it was definitely a big experience and uh, in a great urban environment. But that position allowed me to get the inpatient experience that I desired. Um, so I, I've seen, you know, the kind of the academic medical center uh, outpatient setting. And, and this role was a director of facilities in a, in a very large system, um, multi-state. And it gave me that inpatient experience that I desired. So that's kind of how I made the transition from Emory Healthcare to Advent Health, because I was looking to, to grow um, within the inpatient side of healthcare. That's one that can be a difficult transition to make, not even talking about on the accountability side, but, you know, from our role here as, um, you know, healthcare recruiters, I know that, you know, going from a construction project manager where that's your job title now to, to becoming a director of FM at a, for multiple hospitals can be a tough sell job for you as the candidate. And I don't mean that sell job in a bad way. It's just, you have to sell yourself. How did you, how did you not convince them, but how did you sell your experience to make that leap? Because it's substantial to go from construction PM into a director of FM for multiple hospitals. How did you do that? I think. I, and do you recall? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, just just selling. I think in my career, I had shown that, you know, I could, you know, I made the jump from finance and revenue cycle to facilities. So I'd already kind of shown in my career that I was able to to go from one business unit to something completely different and succeed in that area. Mm -hmm. So I think your ability to communicate on how you can adapt um, and continue to grow and learn and that continuous education and growth, I think that's one thing I, I focus on when making that leap in my career is, hey, look, I've proven that I can take on and learn new things. I haven't been a director before, but I've shown success, um, you know, throughout my education and, and the early parts of my career to where I feel like I could take on that challenge and that advancement. And um, I guess whatever I said that day worked um, because I was given the opportunity. So. Um. Right. Yeah, it, it, it certainly did. And I think, you know, that's a, we, we always talk about skill sets that people need and, you know, focus on technical and soft skill and leadership. But I think that 
sales component and sales often gets kind of a negative connotation because you just think salesy, but that, that ability to sell yourself and to sell your experience and your success to, to, to be able to articulate that self-confidence without coming across and turning people off. Cause that can happen too, is, is a key competency that I think people probably need to develop Cause I know for many people it's, it can be foreign. They just, they don't like to say, I don't want to brag about myself. And I tell them all to, you're not really bragging. You know, if you don't do it, nobody's going to, nobody's going to step up for you and say, Hey, get this guy. So I think it's a great company. You know, it's a great, trait that you have. No, I, th- I think that's that's one thing on the facility side that, you know, we as an industry need to continue to do is really sell what we do every day because a lot of people just don't understand what we do every day. I mean, unless you live it day to day, it's hard to, to understand and comprehend. So, you know, promote the improvements that you've made within your departments, you know, the, your, how many work orders you completed that year, how many construction projects, your work order completion rate, your, you know, the the time to complete work orders, you know, those type of things create metrics that you can measure and communicate and sell to, you know, the rest of your organization and, and claim, um, I guess, all that hard work that you and your team have, have done throughout the year and really promote the department um, and what you do for the organization. So I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. So of all the areas of accountability, you know, when you became the the director of FM, was there one that was more difficult than another to wrap your arms around when you began in that FM role or or how did you go about you said you're a you know, a le- you're, you are a learner. How did you go about learning those new um those new areas of accountability that you had? I think the the biggest challenge for me, and I think um it's probably the the engineering side just learning the, the different types of equipment and, and spending time with, with the members on your team um, that are really technically strong. And, and like I said earlier, you know, asking those silly questions, that's, that's the way you grow and the way you learn. Um, so that's probably the biggest challenge for me coming from the finance side. I mean, I think it's really rare and unique if somebody is super strong in finance and also super strong in engineering. So we all have areas of growth. Um, <laughs> That we, need, yes. that we need to work on. And that, that was kind of um, my area of growth that I still work on, you know, to this day. I, I ask questions of our contractors, our vendors, our internal staff to to try and learn and grow more on the on the engineering and really technical side of the business. How did your um, how did the staff accept you? Were they were they um kind of the show me where they, Hey, this is a finance guy or, or what was that like? Because as you know, I mean, facility staff can be a tough group to, to, to win over. Um, how did you do that? Yeah. And I think you're right. And I think they're, you know, we're initially gun shy with me coming in, you know, with kind of a, a finance background, but, you know, you know, showing them and asking questions and show that you are interested and, and you are willing to learn and, and you take that information and, and if you can use that to to better things or make things easier for them um, to help them to accomplish their goals and better take care of the facility. I think if if you leverage that and, and build those relationships and, and show that you are interested and, and that you want to learn from them, I think that goes a long way um, in building those relationships and winning them over. Did it... Uh how long did it did it take you to win them over, or was it always just an ongoing, you know, ongoing? Uh... 
ongoing I, process? I think it's just ongoing. You know, you're continuously working on and building relationships yeah. within the organization. So I, I don't know if there's ever really one point to where you're like, um, that right. you feel like you, you've done everything you can do. So. Yeah. Whenever you're dealing with people, it's always, uh, you know, it's never where you want it to be. You're always going to be working for it. Yeah, absolutely. You rose, um, you know, relatively speaking, you rose pretty quickly into a VP role where you are now at Washington Regional Medical Center. Was that a goal of yours to to rise to the VP level? And I don't, I don't mean to be you know, minimized, but how did it happen so quickly? <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, getting to the VP level was, was definitely a goal of mine. But, you know, there's there's steps along the way. And, and one thing I've always kind of tried to do in my career, and this really comes from from football as well. Um, that was drilled in my te- into my head at Georgia is, you know, every day you're always getting better or you're getting worse. There really is no, you know, st- stagnation or staying the same. If you're not working, um, trying to improve yourself, continue to learn and grow and, and better or working to better the organizations you are in, um, ultimately you're getting worse because other people are getting ahead of you. You're falling behind. So. I think I've tried to apply that in my career and just take it one step at a time and continue to try and prove my, my value and worth to the organization. Um, I would encourage people to try and find mentors. And if you don't, that's okay. Like I said, take, take control of your own career. Don't depend upon your organization to give that education or to build those skill sets, go out and do that on your own. You know, um, at the end of the day, you're responsible for your own career and your own career growth. So um, that's kind of my recommendation and, and how I think I've been able to succeed and, and kind of take on additional responsibilities by, by having that initiative and drive to, to learn and, and grow and better myself. You mentioned um, mentors, finding mentors. Did, were you fortunate enough to find mentors along the way? Absolutely. Um, and that's one of the great pl- things about working at, in an environment like Emory Healthcare or any other organization that, that invests in, uh, you know, development programs or talent. Uh, Taylor Williams uh, in the revenue cycle, Larry Ingram, Mike Mason are just a few just to give them a quick shout out for, for really helping me in my career at Emory Healthcare. Um, ASHE is a fantastic organization. I'd highly encourage um anybody in facilities management to attend those conferences and build those networks and, and have people elsewhere in the industry that you can lean on as well um, with questions you may have. Cause ultimately, you know, we're, we're all going through the same thing. We often have the same problems. Uh, so I think building those relationships and those mentorships inside and outside of your organization is a, is a great um, tool and strategy to have in your career. So did you um, did you passively latch on, not latch on to them, but did you passively connect yourself to them originally, or was it just kind of an organic process? Did you say, "Hey, I'm gonna, you know, I want you to be my mentor," or did it just happen and you were always just pinging them with questions and learning and just being, you know, being there, being that sponge? I think it's kind of a combination of both. I think you have to build that initial trust by you know doing good work. Um, while also showing interest and, um, like you said, asking them questions and, and asking for their advice and, and really building those relationships. And I think it just kind of 
those relationships organically grow. Um, and they kind mm-hmm. of uh, eventually, you know, kind of just take you under their wing. Um, but I, you have to succeed in, in what your current job is, but also, you know, ask for new projects, additional projects. Um, everybody's really busy. They could uh, almost everybody could use a helping hand. Hey, where can I help you? What, what's the pain point for you? Um, what can we do to make things better? Where do we need to grow? Um, and kind of build and grow those relationships that way. So is there one area or what is your favorite? What What's what's your favorite part of your job now at the v, VP level, whether it be some of the accountabilities you have or, or is, there a, is there a role that you, not a role, but is there an area that you've really taken to and you really enjoy being a part of? You know, something new for me has, has been the laboratory operations. So I've kind of grown in my career that way. So that's, um, and that just came out of, you know, we, we had a VP left and I asked to, to grow and to learn more. And, and I'd love the opportunity to take on another department. So that's, you know, in, in the world of COVID, that's definitely with the importance of, you know, the laboratory, laboratory operations and, you know, testing that's, that's taken up a, a fair amount of my time and it's helped me grow there as well. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah. good. Good. No, I was going to say that's, you know, VP of, VP of facilities, you see that a lot, but then the laboratory operations, you know, your, your, your title, VP of facilities and laboratory operations, certainly a little unique in the field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely unique and it's, it's been a, a great learning experience and, you know, I, uh, I'm definitely very appreciative of the opportunity, but it, it kind of gets back to what I said earlier is, is, you know, having or being willing to ask, you know, to, to learn and to take on more and you never know what your uh, next opportunity may be. So definitely appreciate the opportunity. It's been a great learning experience um, and definitely excited to, to grow and uh, within my career. So just, um, you know, successful sports teams, they've usually got a, a family type approach, you know, among their successful attributes. You talked about it with, you know, your your team at Georgia. So when you're a manager or director, it's a bit easier to stay connected with your team. Now as a VP, is it more difficult to stay connected? And, and how do you try to stay connected with your, you know, team members who certainly play pivotal roles in the organization? Is it tough to do and how do you do it? You know, I think one of the downsides and you, you hear this from most people is, as you continue to take on more, you end up in more meetings. <laughs> um, we, yeah. <laughs> you, you definitely have to, to manage that. And uh, this has been interrupted by COVID a little bit, but we, we try and have monthly staff meetings um, in all of our different departments where we, we go and we give updates and we, we try and hear what's going on Um and get feedback from our staff and, and learn what their pain points are and, and try to make improvements for them. So I think setting aside that time to maybe at least meet monthly um, as a larger group and, and to learn what the real issues are um, with the front, with the frontline staff is, is important. And also just building relationships. When you see people in the hall, tell them good morning, um, ask them how they're doing, ask them how their family is. I think that's important as well. Just, take a few minutes in your day, even as you're, as you're passing the hallway to, to talk to people and really build those relationships over time. Excellent. So, um, final, final question. And I'm joined today by 
Will Sullivan. Will is VP of Facilities and Laboratory Operations at Washington Regional Medical Center in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, Will, what are what are or are there are there and what are some of the similarities that you see between football and now your you know your lengthy career in healthcare facilities at a VP role? What are some of the similarities that you've seen or that you see? I think in football, you know it. It's a group effort. It's a team effort. Not everybody can be, you know, the the star quarterback that you know that that gets all the glory. Uh, facilities is is definitely a field where you're behind the scenes um, on a day to day basis. You know, we're we're not surgeons, we're not nurses, but we do play a huge role in the success and and of healthcare and patient outcomes. So, I think that's one of the biggest similarities between football and facilities is it's a group and team effort. You know, you, you've got those star players, individuals that get a lot of the credit, but there's the, you know, there's the offensive line or defensive line or uh, or the practice squad members that really help build that team and, and make them what they are. And I think it's the same way with facilities. We, we play a crucial role in keeping our uh, patients, staff, um, visitors safe. Um, the hospital is, is, views, is viewed as a, a safe place, a safe harbor. Um, for society and you know when they come to the hospital they expect to be safe and and ultimately try and get better so I think that's probably the largest similarity between football and facilities management is there may not be as much glory as some other positions within the organization but that doesn't mean um, that it's not any less important to the success of the team yeah no great point was so when you were at Georgia was was Matthew Stafford was he the quarterback there when you were there yeah we uh we're exactly uh we're actually the same age we came in in the same class so uh matt's a great guy and huh. and and like you said he he got a lot of the you know started as a freshman quarterback and got a he had a lot of that star power and recognition um but yeah matt and i are the same age so would, you, would our our facilities personnel they they akin to the the linemen offensive and defensive linemen <laughs> yeah if you're gonna if you if you're gonna make a comparison, yeah, I would think so. In the sense of you know we're we're in the trenches every day. We're behind the scenes. We're dealing with air handlers, plumbing, right. whatever it may be. We're we're doing the dirty work per se. Um, that really helps keep the organization going. So yeah, if you're not if you're not either moving people or getting to the quarterback, the you know your air handlers or your your generators they're going down. <laughs> exactly, it's going to be a long game. Exactly. Now it's uh, definitely a lot of similarities between football and facilities. Last question. I know I said it'd be the last one, but what advice would you give to? And you've given a lot of great advice along the way um, for people to really pick up on. But is there any advice you'd give to an aspiring VP as we look to close out this episode of So You Want to Be? What what advice would you give an aspiring VP? I think to probably the biggest piece of advice is just to, you know, succeed where you are, whatever position you're in, do well, um, continue to grow and learn. I think people will eventually take notice. Um, and if they don't, you know, take, take control of your career, find, find an organization that will appreciate what you can bring. Um, but also realize that there's, Things don't necessarily come quickly. You've got to work hard. You've got to take control of your career. You've got to build your own growth. Um, and always strive to learn more and better yourself. You know, no matter where you're at in your career, try to learn something new every day. And uh, take that initiative and put that on yourself to, to continue to grow and provide more value to the organization. Uh, be willing to take risks um, with new ideas or projects. 
Um, that's that's another recommendation I want to give is, you know, the only way to make improvement is to change what you're doing right now. Right now. So um, bring new ideas, take risks, invest in yourself, invest in the organization. And uh, I think that's how you really grow in your career and uh, continue to move up. You know, that's good advice. And I'm going back to the the first thing. One of the first things you said when I asked you that question was, you know, you said succeed where you are. Um, and so often we'll talk to people um, who are in facilities and, and they're, you know, they're doing well, but they're looking for that next thing. You know, I want to be a VP. I want to be a, a VP now, or I want to be a direct, you know, I'm a manager. I want to be a director that you're looking for that next thing where you you're really simple building block advice is succeed where you are and then those opportunities would come you know sometimes i think people give themselves kind of an artificial time period i want to be x in 2 years where maybe it's let's succeed where you are and you'll get to x that's i like you know i like that you started off with that succeed where you are cuz i think sometimes we forget about that cuz we're chasing something beyond yeah absolutely i mean we're all in different situations it it, it may be quicker for some people than others but i think the only thing you can control is is what you do every day and, and your success. So start off by, you know, succeeding where you are and, and building your skill set and your resume. And if you can quantify um, and, and show that value and, and build those projects and that project portfolio that you can communicate to others and either internal or external organization, um, I think that's the best thing you can do is, like you said, just – Take advantage of the situation you're in, make it the best you can, and continue to build your skill set and that really um, portfolio of or resume of projects and improvements that you've made in the past. Great advice. Will Sullivan, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. This is Peter Martin, president of Gosselin Martin, Martin Associates. I can't even say my name. Thanks for listening. We will uh, we'll be back with another episode soon of High Reliability. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.